If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hey there, welcome to the podcast. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm happy you're joining us today. This week, we have a fun guest with us today. We have Marlene Winnell, and she is just a wealth of information. She wrote this book called Leaving the Fold, A Guide for Former Fundamentalists and Others Leaving Their Religion. I mean, aren't you already like peaked with interest? (laughs) She is just fascinating. And so she's going to come on and talk to us all about religious trauma syndrome, which is something I didn't even know was a thing, but apparently it's a thing. And she has tons of research and resources and knowledge to share with us today. So I cannot wait to dig into this conversation. Before I do that, This podcast episode is brought to you by Alice Ranker. She is one of our Patreons, and she is a huge supporter of the show. I just adore her. She's wonderful. And Alice, thank you so much for continuing to support this show. It just means the world to me. If any of you guys out there are interested in becoming a supporter of this show, you can find out more about that on my website, justajesusfollower.com, and click on the button Patreon. All of you guys, I love you so much. I love connecting with you, and I really think you're going to love this guest. I just ate up every single thing she had to say. So without any further ado, here we go. Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am joined by a special guest today. I'm joined with Dr. Marlene Winnell. And Dr. Winnell is a human development consultant, educator, and writer in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her background includes 28 years experience in human services in both community and academic settings. She holds a doctorate in human development and family studies from Pennsylvania State University, and she's the author of Leaving the Fold, a Guide for Former Fundamentalists and Others Leaving Their Religion. Welcome, Marlene. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Oh, we're so happy that you are here. So I found your article on religious trauma syndrome, and it just resonated so much with me. And I want to dig into all of what that is and and help gain an understanding of all the work that you've done. But first, can I ask you, what led you to study and write about a topic like this? Well, in a way, it was kind of accidental. Um, It was my own background. And as I was studying psychology, I decided to do some writing about my own experience. And then it became a paper that I delivered at the meetings of the American Psychological Association in New York. And there was... um, quite a response. And then I continued to 
just listen to my clients and, uh, and, and start interviewing people about their experiences and found out that I was far from alone, that there were lots of people going through similar things as they were leaving their religion. And it was ex-evangelicals, ex-Mormons, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. It was a full range. And it was very interesting to me. Um, and then I wrote this uh, book proposal, which was accepted pretty quickly. And, and, and it kind of all went from there. I just I wrote the book. And since then, um, the book has been out for 25 years, which is really interesting. It sold more last year than it did the first year. So wow. I think that's that's not so much about the book as it is about um, the way word has spread about religious trauma. And also um, more and more people are, are leaving religion and they're needing resources. So mm. it's sort of all evolved. Yes, it's so timely right now. It's fascinating. And for those that don't know, like myself, can you tell us what exactly is religious trauma syndrome? Well, it's hard to say exactly like that, but um, it's really a syndrome is a collection of symptoms that appear regularly. And so with religious trauma, there are um, symptoms, cognitive symptoms, like, like not being able to think for yourself very well, um, affective, like having trouble with your emotions, not knowing what to how to understand them or what to do with them, um, social symptoms like feeling totally isolated and not having and, and losing your support network and therefore um, having some problems that way and, and also social deficits. So, uh, there are a lot of deficits from these changes where you're really learning a lot about how to be uh, a secular person in the world. Um, and then finally, um, I would say cultural symptoms, which is all kind of along that line where you're trying to adjust to being a normal person in the world and um, you have a lot to learn. So this all combines together to create problems that I guess in the psychological world you might label with various psychological labels like depression or anxiety or bipolar or whatever, but they're all traceable back to your religious indoctrination and the religious practices that, that you've been through. That's fascinating. And one of the sentences that jumped out at me in your article was where you say, mind control and emotional abuse is actually the norm for many large authoritarian mainline religious groups. And that just, I know this to be true from my own experience, but seeing it in the black and white really jumped out at me. Can you expand on that? Um, well, first of all, I'm curious about what you, what your religious background is. <laughs> well, I I grew up evangelical, uh -huh. more charismatic background with my parents who were very much involved in ministry. And oh. then I eventually became a pastor myself oh. and spoke and worked in churches of varying denominations, but all kind of centering back to that evangelical uh -huh. sect. Uh-huh. Okay. Um Yeah, well then you would know um that that you're not really allowed to think for yourself, that if you question, it's considered doubt, and that's a sin. Mm -hmm. So you have to really um, repress your own critical thinking. And, and, and that's pretty much encouraged. What's encouraged is conformity to a set of beliefs and a, a set of practices. 
and you're not really allowed to de to uh, develop very well as a creative human being. Um, and it's authoritarian. There's a hierarchy. God God's at the top, and different churches emphasize this more than others. But it's patriarchal and it's hierarchical. And so, if you're a woman, you're kind of at the bottom. Um, and there are all these all these patterns that are typical of of religions like this. That's fascinating. And when you say emotional abuse, I think I think a lot of people who come out of this have experienced emotional abuse, but it's uh -huh. it's not identifiable because it's been so normalized for them. So can you explain how some of that transfers into emotional abuse? Okay, yeah. Um there there are teachings that you get and um they are pounded into you basically. And I consider it emotional abuse to, for example, tell a small child that they're going to go to hell if they don't buy in to, to the system, you know, accept Jesus as your personal savior and that whole bit. Um, mm. But to scare, I mean, a child doesn't really have the cognitive maturity to make heads or tails of that. So, so they will conform and they will believe that, and it sounds plausible the same way Santa Claus does. And so I think that's highly manipulative to be training it. And, and there is a big effort for child evangelism, it's called, right? Where right. you try to get them while they're young. And that's, that, I think, is just totally abusive. And then, and then, you know, to say that this is your own personal choice, that God wants you to love him out of free will, it's, it's crazy making. You can't. If you really think rationally about it, it doesn't make any sense. But a child can't really do that. So you buy in, and so you have that. And then you also have the the teaching that you're basically bad, that you need saving, that there's something wrong with you, that you're sinful. So as a small child, you find out that, that Jesus, this guy 2,000 years ago, died for you because you're sinful. And, and and you can feel guilty about that. So in order to get saved, you have to feel guilty, be sorry, and then be grateful for the salvation. It's not free. It's not a free salvation at all. Mm. But but you don't really realize that, and you don't think about that. Um, and sometimes it's hard to think clearly about that, even as an adult, about how unfair that is or how irrational that is. So I, I think that's emotional abuse because then you carry that. These two things, original sin and hell, are the most pernicious teachings. And people have a hard time processing and healing from them for, for many years, sometimes decades, and sometimes not at all because it's so powerful and it's so deep. Mm. And you're talking about there, when you talk about hell and you talk about original sin and that sort of thing, you're describing this mentality that's fear-based yeah. and a mentality of seeing yourself as innately bad and oppositional to anything good. Right. So what, I mean, and again, for people who've grown up like this, this is so normal. Um, but can you talk about the damaging effects of a foundation built on fear and built on this idea of self being bad. Um, well, just that you you struggle with that all the time. Um, I mean, contrast that to 
uh, a healthy individual who thinks well of herself and um, can be happy and healthy as a child and her parents are are um, respecting her developmental stages, you know, and supporting her in becoming who she is and le learning to make decisions, learning to understand emotions, um, learning to think critically and all of that. And in contrast to that, if you, you doubt yourself at every turn, you know, and you have to look outside yourself for guidance for every little thing, you know, and, and, Certainly the whole business of um, God having a perfect plan for your life, you know, makes you think that you can't make those kinds of decisions for yourself. So you're really impaired. And so people in adulthood um, often have to struggle to, uh, to find those skills to make decisions, sometimes really basic decisions. Um, I'm not even talking about relationship issues, but that comes up too. And then the whole hellfire thing um, can just be a low-level anxiety that, that you can't get over. That for some reason um, you're doing something wrong, you're not even sure what it is. It's kind of uh, shame-based uh, living where, where guilt is something that you've done wrong and you can be sorry and make amends. Shame is when you feel terrible about who you are as a person. And so that's what you live with. And it's 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 hard to change that around. It takes some work to change that around. And then the other thing is not just fear of hell; it's fear of the world, fear of life, because you're taught that the world is a dangerous place, that it's the domain of Satan. I'm sure you've heard that. And so you're not really comfortable or happy in the world as it is. You're also thinking that there's a better world, and this is temporary. And so you don't really invest. You don't really reach out and make your best life. You're you're surviving more than living, and looking forward to the next life. So there's all these all these things that go together in in making you not really live fully. Mm. Gosh, that's so true. That's so true. And I think for a lot of people, when they come out of their of their community or their church or their religion they don't really anticipate that off-kilter feeling of like, uh-oh, I'm not prepared for life out here. Yeah. And so do you, I, I imagine you work with people that find themselves in that in-between space. What are some of the, the tips and tools that you give them? Well, read my book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, read my book and come see me. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there, there's a growing number of people, I think, that are more available to, to um, be counselors. I'm, trying, I'm getting myself organized to train people to do this because it does help to get, get uh, some professional input and just the connection with other people that are going through the same thing, like to join a group of some kind. I have a support group online. And there are also lots of um, resources like yourself, you know, other websites where you can find other people and not feel alone. I think it's very important to not feel alone and really understand, educate yourself and understand what, what, what the issues are that you're healing from instead of blaming yourself. 
because it's easy to think, oh, it's me, and to, and to get scared to, to think maybe they're right and think that you should run back. So mm. it's very important to understand and, and do a little research, do some reading and, and get support in uh, taking some steps forward. And it, it, it takes courage, it takes courage, but that's okay. There's other people that are trying to be brave as well. So you have this wonderful part of your article that I kind of hovered over for a while, and it's where you're talking about the cycle of abuse. And you say, like a devoted wife, the most sincere believers get damaged the most. And I got to tell you, as a writer myself, like, wow, that is a strong, powerful statement. It's such a good phrasing of what the cycle of, of abuse can look like. But for a lot of people, putting that cycle of an abused wife into a church setting feels so foreign, and yet there are so many similarities. Can you connect that for us? Well, an, an abused wife is is um, in a situation where um, whenever there's conflict, it's made to be her fault, right? And then and she's supposed to forgive, and, and she's supposed to search herself for um why she provoked it and and stop that and be a better person and and the husband is never responsible for anything um and so and, and in fact um there can be some reconciliation and and the husband can be sorry for the violence or whatever and and then there's making up and everything seems fine and it's seductive to stay and not realize what's really going on and, and, and get up the energy to leave. And I think in the Christian context, and, and by the way, we're talking mostly here about uh, fundamentalist evangelical Christian, um, and you can extrapolate to some of the other groups. But the basic idea is that um, you're, you're trying to be a good Christian, and then you feel like you've been doing, you're having problems, and so you, uh, are supposed to look at what sin you have in your life, because if there are problems in the in in your daily quote walk with God, um, it's always your fault. So you can go through this big repentance thing and this and, and this big revival thing with yourself to get closer to God again, and then you feel better. And it's and it's but it's temporary because it's not really working, you know. If, if God is this imaginary outside source, your adult imaginary friend, um, you can make that work for a while, but then you're living an ordinary life and you start realizing that you're not perfect again because the idea is you're supposed to be perfect, right? You can't just um, be a normal person. So you go through the cycle again. You feel guilty again. So it's guilt, repentance, and then a revival and then more guilt and repentance and so you just keep going and it's always your fault you never look at the system itself is there something wrong with this whole belief system so it's so it's a trap wow that's so good that's so good i've heard um some listeners you know I, they share their stories with me and i absolutely love that and i remember one of them saying to me I knew it was right. It was time for me to leave this church that they had been a part of for about 20 years. And they leave 
And then they find themselves, of course, disconnected from community, disconnected from life as they knew it. But they also had this crisis of faith where they felt like, oh gosh, I've, I've left God. I'm away from God. I, I don't feel connected to God anymore. What do I do now? And like you just said, previously they would go to church and they would, they would repent, they would do all the things and they would feel connected and all is well. But when you pull that piece out, it's like this crisis happens of, of a person's faith. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I'm sure that's not an uncommon theme. Well, again, I think it helps to um, to to understand the dynamics that I just described, um, and realize that you're not you're not at fault. That just because you don't feel very good doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. Um, because if you if you think about it. Um, you know, to go back to church and confess your sin and feel better is is kind of a pacifying thing to do, right? It makes you feel better, but you haven't really done anything. You're not, not really doing anything different in your life. Um, so to understand that it, it's okay to, to leave, and of course you're going to feel um, disoriented and, and fearful. These feelings are normal. That's something that's really important to realize is that, you know, your feelings are okay. They're normal. You don't have to have this um, happy, happy um, Christian glow all the time. You know, that, that, that's, that that's manufactured anyway. So when you come out of it, um, to just realize that you're going, you're going to go through a process and that that's okay. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does completely. And, you know, that's one of the things that people usually say is that it's like breathing fresh air once they get out of this mentality of having to be fake all the time and having to present an image all the time. And, uh -huh. and I don't even know that necessarily we all know that we're doing that when we're in that because it's so normal. But when you step outside of it and you can kind of let your hair down and just let your heart out and let your thoughts out and not worry about whether you're accepted or not accepted for who you are or what you think. It's, it's this authentic space that it's almost like an oasis in a desert because those are who have been in those communities don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very free feeling. Yes. And I think most people crave that authentic thing. They all want to be seen and known and loved for who they are. And I think that's part of what drives people to, to search outside their church. But there's that fear barrier of, uh-oh, if I really let even these people out here in the wild know about me or know about my, my true self, maybe they will reject me like the church did. You know, there's that opposition of ingrained, I have to conform you have all these rules for how to be and so you in a way it's comfortable you know what to expect um you know how to behave in order to be accepted in the group and some of those rules can depending on the church can get very specific but it gives you this cocoon that you can live in socially and out in the world it's really not like that um, 
we have all kinds of people. And sure, some people judge for various things. Some people judge a lot of things. But it's a mix. It's a huge mix. And um, you're, you don't have a set of rules like that. Now, within subgroups, like you might join a club of some kind or be doing a, an activity with some people where there seem to be certain expectations. But in, in general, um, you have to start looking to yourself to figure out how you want to be, what your rules are. So it's like you switch from that author, um, almost patriarchal authoritarian mindset of someone is telling me the rules to now I am telling myself the rules. Yeah, yeah. And that can take a while because there are a lot of different areas. Um, and sometimes when I work with people that feel really lost about that, I tell them to start writing what would be a personal manifesto. You can change anything about it at any time. But just write down something that you agree with. Like maybe you agree with the golden rule. You know, put that down. And, and, and write out what you think about lots of different things. And keep, keep that going so that you start developing a sense of self and identity. You know, these are things that, that I agree with. And you don't, you don't have to know what you, everything that you think. It's a work in progress. But it's kind of exciting. Yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. Because for many people, it's the first time they've ever been asked what do you really think? What do you really want? What do you really believe? And for some people, that can be a very terrifying question because they've never been given permission to answer it. Yeah. So you talk also about shattered assumption framework and betrayal trauma theory. And if you could explain what these are and how they affect those who leave religion. Um, well, shattered assumption is when... Uh, the system of thought that, that you were used to, that you were believing in, you find out isn't true, and it shatters your whole world. Um, so, like somebody might go through a shattered assumption kind of crisis when they, somebody in their family dies of a car accident, and what they thought up to that point was that the world was... Uh, that life was fair, you know, and um, turns out something happens and, and it's not fair at all. And it's really frightening and scary. It kind of shatters your idea of life. So uh, in, the, in the Christian shattered assumption case, you've got all these, all these assumptions about how God is going to save you. You know, God is going to rescue us all. It's going to come down out of the sky and rescue us, and that the world is, there's problems in the world, but it's all going to get sorted out at Judgment Day. And um, so there's a, a comfort level with your set of assumptions about life. And then when that changes, it's, it's shattering. So that's the idea with that. And the other one, what was the other one again? The betrayal trauma theory. Betrayal trauma. Yeah, um, betrayal is is um, the research shows that betrayal is worst is the worst kind of um, 
well, when, when, when somebody you know and somebody that you thought you had a good relationship with uh, does something that feels like betrayal, that, that makes it worse because there was a relationship there. And so, and, and, and also, if there was any violence and it was from somebody that you trusted, okay, so you can imagine that's being true for sexual trauma or, or physical trauma. You know, when it was somebody that, uh, a relative or somebody that you trusted and then they perpetrated something on you, um, that that's, that's, that's even more traumatizing. So I think that this applies to losing your faith because you had this huge trust in God and you trusted the people at, at church, you trusted your parents, and now you feel lied to. Now you feel betrayed and lied to that um, that that they weren't telling you the truth, and it's it's trauma because these were these were people or or God was somebody that you put a lot of faith in. So that's that's shattering. I think it's really interesting. When I was writing that, I I found it really interesting that um, both of these theories, which I have been studied were never applied to religion. You know, nobody ever applies. I shouldn't say nobody, but I have I have not seen um, psychological studies like this applied to to religion, and I think they should be. So I think people go to, go to therapy um, or get help of different kinds, and are never told that there might be a connection between some of their symptoms and their religion, and then just continue blaming themselves for things that could be identified. But I think it's probably still a long way to uh, the time when psychology graduate programs will have a, a course on religious harm. I think we're still pretty far from that because religion is still uh, in this special category in our, in our culture. I mean, they don't pay taxes, right? Right. Yes. There, there's a lot of a lot of protection over, oh, over the whole group, and and I just when you were talking about shattered assumption, that really is such a great, such a great way to picture what happens when, like you said, your belief was that life was fair, and then you realize it's not. That shatters you, and in the same way, you know, I hear from parents whose whose children have been abused by someone they trusted in the church and they say where was god i had a deal with god i had trusted god and he was supposed to keep my my child from harm's way what happened and that that's what you're describing right that is a shattered assumption yeah and people have um no idea how to deal with the question of evil in the world you know there's strange theories right. about that um, but, but there is evil in the world. And so there's, there's, you need to have some way of thinking about that. Right. And learning how to cope with that outside of the framework that you are used to, yeah. because that framework is not working or holding up under the weight anymore. Yeah. That's, that's really difficult. Yeah. And, and, um, so you're not used to 
thinking of, I, I, I find that um, there's a difference between somebody who's been raised religious, religiously and they um, have all these pet answers for everything and somebody who has been raised in a secular way and has really had to uh, grapple with questions like evil or question like mortality, death. And because we all have to come to terms with death and somebody who hasn't ever really even thought about it very much um, is kind of new at it. And it's a very big thing. Right. And so how do people navigate through that? I mean, I'm assuming there's a way, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, there, there isn't a, a formula, but um, to basically just to start changing your focus to, to this life instead of the next. You know, actually in religion, there's a huge emphasis on death, you know, death of Jesus, death um, when you die and then, and then um, the judgment day and death in hell. And um, there's so much death in the, in the uh, religion. I've even called it a death cult because they're not even emphasizing the life of Jesus. You know, what Jesus taught. Now, liberal churches will do more of that you know, get away so much from uh, of the crucifixion and focus more on what he taught and learn from that and try to emulate Jesus. And, and the definition of Christian is somebody who is following Jesus, not somebody who has done the sinner's prayer. Right. Um, but the idea is to live the life that you want to live, you know, with integrity, with joy, with having fun. Um, you know, so that on your deathbed, you're not regretting it. Mm. And then death, death doesn't have the same kind of power because, because you've lived fully. Right. Gosh, that's so good. And you're right. It's, it's this mentality of, I'm not living with a present self. I'm living with a mindset of a future self. And right. so how do you even begin to enjoy a life when you're living that way, when you're just consumed by what happens after you die or after your children die or your neighbor dies that you need to save? It's, you're right. It's very death focused, but yet no focus on living. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's fascinating. So how does this compare to something like PTSD? Is this in the same realm, this type of Thing that we're talking about or is this something totally different um i think it's in the same realm i've compared it to that um th there's two kinds of ptsd one is is the um reaction somebody has to an event and the other is chronic ptsd or cptsd which is a repeated kind of uh trauma so you know one might be one one might be um, a near death or an accident or 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 um, being in a war situation or something like that where you're reacting to it. The other, the chronic, is when you are abused on a regular basis. For example, you know, like you, you know, a child gets beaten regularly and um, it's chronic. 
And so I think with religious trauma, it's both for somebody who has left the faith. Mm. Um, the chronic part is being taught on a regular basis about hell and original sin and these things that do damage to your psyche. I think I think those are traumatic things to have happen to you. It's like a slow drip, you know, like a Chinese water torture or something. It's a slow drip on your psyche, um, but it causes all this damage. And then um, the, the other kind of PTSD where it's an event, I think when you leave, you have this uh, experience of losing everything you know. It's like a rug being pulled out from under you because the religion defined everything, defined you, it defined your relationships, defined your your identity, your your. Uh, your future plans, God having a plan for your life, your life after death, what to think of other people, what to think of the world. It basically defined everything, and you lose all of that, and you have to reconstruct. Right. And that's huge. I, I consider that to be a traumatic event, mm. to, to have that huge of a loss. It may, and and it, you may kind of work up to it, and it doesn't happen all in one day, but still, it's it's a drawn out kind of event. Mm. So in that sense, it's 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 uh, post traumatic stress, and post traumatic stress is um, is is defined as experiencing something that's life threatening, or observing something that's life threatening, a life and death situation, and I think that. Um, I think this counts as a life and death situation. Wow. And you know, when you talked about the betrayal trauma and how that can be one of the hardest forms of trauma to recover from, because like you said, it's someone that you trusted and those are the most painful injuries. It's from, it's from our friends and family. It's not from a stranger down the street. Um, right. That, that, connects with me with what you're talking about with something similar to being a life and death trauma, because for so many people, and maybe it's just our survivalistic nature, we crave to be in the pack. We don't want to be alone. That feels scary. So we crave connection and we crave our community. And when that community betrays your trust, whether it be shaming you for being gay or shaming you for have having a, a divorce or getting pregnant before you're married or whatever the case may be that gets you out of the group, that mm-hmm. that is a level of trauma that is really hard to to put into words unless you've been through it because because you're right, you you're experiencing that betrayal piece, which makes it so much worse. Uh-huh. Yeah, being betrayed by the group. That's really frightening. Yes. And I, and I hear this a lot that people who have been through that type of scenario, rebuilding trust is so significant in their reconstructing journey. That trust piece is really a big deal. Uh Is that, is that something that can be regained after going through something like this? Um, sure. I, I think if you're talking about trust, trusting other people, is that what you mean? Yes. Um, I think there's a learning curve, you know, to learn about um, other people and, and um, to learn some some empathy for other points of view and 
start learning some skills for how to take care of yourself so that um, you do have a sense of safety, you have a sense of identity, and you can speak up for yourself. It's almost like every ex-Christian ought to have assertive training. Um, I mean, there are skills in dealing with the world, and some people are more trustworthy than others. Right? You don't just right. blindly trust everybody for everything. So, so there's a learning, and, and you gain confidence that the world really is um, a place that that you can feel safe when you're taking care of yourself, you know, and that you can have some skills that are self-protective. I mean, the world isn't perfect. The world is mixed. I'm always saying life is mixed. The world is mixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to to not be naive, but also to not be afraid, because there are also a lot of wonderful people and wonderful things that you can trust. But just start learning how to sort that out. Right. Okay, so if someone is listening to this and they are feeling like religious trauma syndrome is something that they may be suffering from, what would you suggest their next steps be? Um, well, I guess similar to what I was saying before, was which is to um, get support and and do some reading. Do some reading and get support and, um, you know, find out what some new ideas are that are going to be more functional. That's good. And to give everyone some hope, tell us this is recoverable. Tell us that life after a traumatic event, like leaving your church family (laughs) or leaving your religion, that you can experience a full life after that event. Oh, definitely. Because um, we haven't really talked about all the positives. I mean, the positives are huge. The freedom, um, I mean, you work through some of these issues, but you're not just a bundle of issues. You're also a growing, living human being that um, has a lot of inner resources that you didn't even know you had. You know, you were looking to God and looking to the church for inner strength and, and, and love and, and wisdom. And yet you have, you have resources like that within you. So to be going through this um, self-discovery is, is pretty exciting. That's why writing the manifesto and um, just noticing all of the abilities that you do have um, and, and reclaim. I call the people that I work with reclaimers. Reclaim things for yourself, you know, because actually you took everything all away completely. You know, you still have you. And so now you're kind of let out of the closet. You're let out of the prison of um, self-development. And you can go ahead now and be who you are and, and enjoy the learning. Enjoy the process. Enjoy being free. Enjoy people that you don't have to proselytize. Meeting people, you don't have to have an agenda anymore. Right. And you can, you can um, do things that um, are perfectly fine in the world like at my retreats we uh we do things just for fun like we had a wine tasting oh how fun yeah we had a wine tasting we also went out together to a club and went dancing oh my gosh I love this and um 
you know, we do some art, we listen to, we listen to music, we do things that are really normal in the world, um, but are important to realize are available Mm -hmm. and they're harmless, you know, just because you have a glass of wine doesn't mean you become an instant alcoholic. (laughs) Are you sure? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, Well, you know, you'd be surprised how many people have been told that I've been shocked, especially Mormons. Really? Um, but you know, the world is a real cornucopia of, of things to enjoy too. Right. So I, I I like to tell people, welcome to the world. Mm. Welcome to the world. You know, there's a lot, a lot going on and a lot that you can offer too, because people take away from their religious experience, some strengths too. Yeah. It's not just damage. You take away strengths. Um, and so, you know, the world needs you, the world also needs you. So you can, um, apply who you are and what you've learned to, to worldly things too. Right. Well, one thing that's so beautiful too, is that it's not an all or nothing kind of thing. And, and I think that that for some people is the way their brain works because that's the way they're previous thought process worked, but it's, it's like, just because you leave that group or leave that set structure, doesn't mean you have to leave out spirituality. It doesn't mean you have to leave out God or the Jesus story or what connects with you. You can carry all of that with you, but you know, that's, that's when you've been raised in a black and white, all or nothing mentality, you kind of forget that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. If you, you don't realize that, um, some things, some things are worth keeping. In fact, you know, you might even keep some ideas from Jesus. Who knows? Right. Um, but you also can read Buddha's words or, you know, uh, Gandhi. <laughs> right. You're now um, able to avail yourself of all kinds of wisdom and, and not be um, exclusive. And also um, avail yourself of all kinds of people. You know, you can have gay friends if you want. Right. Or be gay. <laughs> right. Believe it or not, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So, yeah, we have, um, we had gay pride parade a couple days ago in San Francisco. It's oh, I very- love it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. We had our first one um, in my city that I live in here in the Midwest. We had our first, it wasn't a parade, but it was a picnic. And that was a really big deal for the little small county I live in. And they had, I mean, over 600 people come, which is impressive for a small Midwestern town. But, you know, there's a lot of people in our communities that are different than us that maybe just you haven't met yet. You know, I think when you grow up in a town, you go to that church, everybody knows everybody, you really lose sight Mm -hmm. that even in your own small space of the world, there's probably a whole nother culture you don't even know about. Right. Right. Yeah. And some really good, good people in different cultures. And, um, I have to remind myself of that, that this town is not the narrow focus I've known it to be, that there are more people beyond what I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. And that took me years, but now I'm kind of out of that groove and I'm just discovering a whole new side of Kansas city. It's fantastic. <laughs> nice. That's great. Yeah. And sexuality, there's another topic we haven't really. Oh, that's a good topic. Yes. But people can be pretty damaged in that area. 
and thinking that their bodies are bad and sex is bad. Um, except when you're on your wedding night, you're supposed to be able to switch it on. Right. <laughs> right. Because that's how it works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't always work that way. So yeah, no. really nice healing of, of that area. Yes. Yes. There is so much, oh my gosh, there's so much we could talk about and so much we could just continue to dive into. I, I so appreciate your work and I so appreciate your time in connecting with us and sharing your, your gems of wisdom with us. And for people who are listening that want to find you, where's the best way for them to do that? Just go to the website. It's called journey free, journeyfree.org. And on it, you can see the various things that we have to offer. And there's also a lot of uh, articles to read um, and resources. Um, one of the things I do really encourage people to do is join the support group. That's really helpful. But we also have a retreat coming up in December. So that might be of interest. That's a three-day retreat. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. And is that in the San Francisco area? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very cool. And I will put links to your website in the show notes. So that'll be nice and easy for people to find you and find your work. And again, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. It was such a gift. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.